If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we're getting set to launch The Shallow End, our next podcast. In fact, if you wanted to uh, search for it right now, I think the trailer is up for it. Um, And I was working on the website, and I was working on our website for the Box of Oddities as well, just just trying to update some stuff. Mm -hmm. I was searching for, I wanted to list a couple of uh, news articles that were written about us. Oh, like the Distractify article? Yeah, Medium Magazine. And What was the one that said, they referred to us as podcast stars? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, I think that was... That was Medium Magazine. Um, Sure, whatever. So I I was searching for them, and I typed in Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. And you know how Google will auto-populate the most frequently asked questions? Right, the things that have been searched for the most. Yeah. Yeah. Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Age difference. (laughs) (laughs) Still, enough, you guys. Jeez, um... uh, It's a lot. Let's move on. (laughs) Also, I and this comes from a lot of internet searching as well and several events that we've been invited to. My last name's not Toth. No, no. (laughs) Katrina Walls, Cat Walls. Uh, We just use her first name and uh, my full name. And and I can see where that's... I can see how it's confusing. It's confusing. Sure. How many seminars have we been to where they give us our credentials? Mm Mm-hmm. And it says Cat Toth. Listen, I was born with the last name Walls and I will die with the last name Walls. It's my name. I don't care if you change yours, but I didn't change mine. And let, But I did give you the option. If you wanted to change your last name, <laughs> yeah. then that would be fine. Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I didn't mind you not changing your last name when we got married because I wouldn't want to change mine. Why would I right. expect you to change yours? I did suggest, and I still think this is a good idea, and if you ever change your mind, 
time, please let me know that we mutually come up with a meeting ground last name. Like we both change our last name to like rocket fuel or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great. So (laughs) just let me know if you change your mind on that. How about air fryers? Am I right? (laughs) Cat and Jethro, tiger's blood. Well, let me grab a sip of coffee here and then we'll get underway, okay? Oh, yeah, good idea. <clears throat> Recording in the morning is weird, but I have to go to Maine again, so this is what we have been reduced to. Right, we are... Morning re- recording. <laughs> We're recording at uh, 10.20 in the morning. My flight's in like five hours. Yeah, so we got to get busy here. <sighs> so the 911 call came in at about 10 a.m. Oof. On Saturday, May the 7th of this year, in fact. this This is a recent story. Officers from the Edgefield County Sheriff's Department in South Carolina responded along with uh, EMTs. They sent units to a home in Trenton, Georgia, about 25 miles north of Augusta. The call came from a person reporting their neighbor who uh, was unresponsive and laying in the backyard. They had looked out the window and they saw their neighbor lying in the backyard. That must be just terrifying. I mean, unless they're just sunbathing or something. Well, yeah, no, this guy wasn't. He uh, shared the house with his longtime girlfriend, Patricia Dent. So the neighbor noticed it and at first didn't think too much of it, but then he didn't get up. So he ran over to his neighbor's yard and uh, frantically told the 911 operator that he had attempted to do chest compressions, but their neighbor was unresponsive. The sheriff's department arrived shortly after the EMTs, and they found 60-year-old Joseph McKinnon apparently dead in his backyard. Medical professionals also tried to resuscitate Mr. McKinnon, and they were not successful. Edgefield County Sheriff Jody Rowland and Edgefield County Coroner David Burnett wrote in a joint statement, quote, Mr. McKinnon had no signs of trauma and natural causes were suspected. At this point, didn't look like there was any foul play. That sentence, starting with, at this point, makes me suspicious. (laughs) At first, it appeared to be a heart attack. McKinnon was found in the backyard where he and Dent were in the process of landscaping the backyard and uh, putting in a new water feature and some shrubberies and things like that. Okay. It appeared to the police, at this point anyway, that uh, it was just a simple heart attack of a 60-year-old man who was in the process of doing some rigorous manual labor that his body just couldn't bear. Yeah, and that's something that they talk about a lot in like the northern states. If you live in the, the southern states, you probably don't understand this, but they say if you are particularly inactive, if mm-hmm. you're a low activity lifestyle kind of person, and then you launch into snow shoveling. Yeah. Heart attacks on the way. Oh, like, yeah. They, they we say, know people that have died. Yes. Shoveling snow. And so they 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 advise people to maintain a active, healthy lifestyle throughout the year, just so you don't die shoveling yourself out. Thanks, Maine. EMTs have their own codes for things. Not they're not like a uniform approved code. They're like slang words. Oh, okay. And so for an out of shape person who dies of a heart attack while shoveling snow, Mm -hmm. uh, they call that a fat shovel. 
Seriously. That's not true. It is true. It is true? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. An EMT friend of mine told me that. And they have another code. Seems uh, rude. When <laughs> it does, doesn't it? If uh, somebody is already dead by the time they get there, they call it a DRT. And that stands for dead right there. That's very main. Yeah, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Dead right straight over there. Over there, Bob. Since it was relatively early in the day, police assumed that uh, Patricia Dent was either still in bed or in the house and unaware their boyfriend had had some sort of an episode in the backyard. So they went to the door and they knocked. No one answered. Patricia Dent was gone. There was no sign of her in the house. Neighbors informed law enforcement that she worked at a golf club in North Augusta called uh, Mount Vintage Golf Club. So police reached out to her co-workers. Den was known to be a very conscientious and punctual employee uh, with her co-workers. They were surprised that she had not shown up for work that morning and uncharacteristically seemed to be ignoring their messages. Okay. Suspicious. Law enforcement then returned to McKinnon and Dent's home and continued to question some of the neighbors. They then continued to search the premises. Everything seemed relatively normal and nothing seemed out of place until police found evidence of blood inside the house. Oh. That's when they started thinking. Patricia Dent was missing. Blood was found in their house. Joseph McKinnon was found dead in the backyard with no signs of physical trauma, lying next to his garden where he had recently been digging a hole for a water feature. Oh my gosh, he wasn't shoveling snow. Nope. Sheriff Rowland told People Magazine, we got down in the pit and started digging around. We uncovered enough that we found black garbage bags. Oh, no. Inside the bags, investigators found the body of Patricia Dent bound and bruised. The guy appeared to have murdered his girlfriend and then died of a heart attack while digging the grave. (sighs) Yeah, that's a twist, huh? Yeah, I was not expecting that. Autopsies were performed on both of them, and it did confirm that McKinnon did indeed die of cardiac arrest. And Patricia Dent had been strangled. Oh, my goodness. Piecing the evidence together, police suspect the two got into a fight and then McKinnon hit her several times and then proceeded to strangle her to death. He then bound her body with tape and then wrapped her in plastic garbage bags and he dragged her to the garden and pushed her into the pit. Sheriff Rowland said, quote, he was feverishly covering the pit. And so we just kind of put things together. He attacked her, killed her, put her in the pit, and died covering her up. Yeah, and if he wasn't a particularly athletic fellow, that's a lot of activity for one morning. Oh, yeah. you work up a sweat murdering somebody and hiding the body. Basically, Sheriff Rowland told people, quote, This case is over. But it's certainly not over for Patricia Dent's twin sister, Pamela Briggs. Oh. Yeah. She posted on Facebook, quote, my life is now forever changed. What am I going to do without her? I'm so broken. I loved my twin with everything. And that's according to um, a statement she gave to Oxygen. That's so sad. She said in another article, too, that um, she suspected something was up even before the police contacted her because Patricia's co-workers at the golf club had reached out to her because it was odd that she hadn't shown up for work. 
And these two were so close that her coworkers thought to reach out to her twin yeah. sister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's rough. In an interview with KMOV TV, she added, quote, I'm shocked. I didn't see any of this coming. Everybody who ever met her liked her. She was so full of energy and was working at 65. Neighbors told police that McKinnon and Dent seemed to get along pretty well. And police noted that there was no known history of domestic violence. Law enforcement had never been called to their residence in Trenton before. It's very likely that if McKinnon had not died of a heart attack that Saturday morning in his backyard while he was burying Patricia Dent, his girlfriend may have seemed to just simply disappear. There were no indications that anything was wrong in that relationship. I would still hope that a fresh pit in the backyard would lead police to uh, investigate. Perhaps. Just saying. Yeah. My source material is allitsinteresting.com, Oxygen, K-M-O-V. The Augusta CBS and NBC affiliates, WRDW and WAGT, and the Augusta ABC affiliate, WJBF. Instant karma. Sometimes it really does get you. Yeah, it's terrible, but at least we know what happened because that out-of-shape guy died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. That's rough. That was rough. Yeah, it was That's rough. That's not a good way to start the morning. I'm, I'm sorry about that, but uh, I thought, geez, that's a weird twist. That is, yes. It certainly fits into the box of oddities. And um, my story is a little bit more lighthearted. Oh, so okay. It, it'll get better. <laughs> let's, let's hope. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now, that thing in the middle. During his research, Dr. Barry J. Marshall was convinced that Helicobacter pylori bacteria causes, among other things, stomach ulcers. But nobody believed him. And since it was illegal to test his theory on humans, he drank the bacteria himself. He quickly developed ulcers within days, treated them with antibiotics, and went on to win the Nobel Prize. 
Now that's a weekend. So the Freaks Group on Facebook is one of my very favorite places. It is a glorious group where people share incredible things, sometimes podcast-related, sometimes not. Mm. Um, but Kayla shared a, a message with us. It says, Boo Effect. Uh-oh. Listen to Box 434 in the morning on my way to work. On the way home, I turn on My Favorite Murder, and Georgia talks about how much she loves her seafoam air fryer. Then I visit my dad's and his girlfriend goes on about their new air fryer. And of course, box 434 was the one where we talked about air fryers. Am I right? It was a very air fryery day for Kayla. I love how the curator produced one of those little sweepers that, uh, that just simply said air fryers. Am I right? <laughs> oh, wow. You did a really good Lindsay impersonation. A lot of people think for some reason that the voice of the curator is me. Well, you both have lovely voices, so well, I can see how they could be confused. Very kind of you to say. That's one of the reasons that I love the shallow end so much. And I know it's kind of shitty for me to be like, oh, this podcast is so good because you can't <laughs> listen to it yet. But we're close <laughs> and uh, you'll be able to listen to it soon. But you both have such nice voices. And then every once in a while, my show shrill <laughs> business pops in like <laughs> so um except for the me part your podcast is great oh shush <laughs> we're very excited about the launch of uh the shallow end with schnebly and toth uh it's available pretty much everywhere you can get major uh, well any major podcast platform pretty much anywhere you get the box of oddities this came in from jennifer Hello, Kat and JG. I was listening to the most recent box on my drive to work where you were sharing about the decline of your father, JG. Mm. It resonated with me so much. My father was a gifted architect, but was also passionate about math like you'd, you know, like your dad. He would sign out math textbooks from the library to read for fun. It oh. <laughs> sounds like my dad. Um, he was brilliant, creative, endlessly curious, and could always be counted on for an opinion. I remember so clearly the moment when I <clears throat> when I knew that his departure from this world was inevitable and coming up fast. My family had just returned from a vacation in Cuba. We're Canadian. We're allowed to do that sort of thing. <laughs> and while we were there, we watched as Obama landed in Havana. It was obviously a pretty fascinating moment. And I remember the housekeeping staff at our hotel sneaking peeks of the coverage of it on CNN. <laughs> I shared that experience with my father when we returned and asked him what he thought about it. His response was, I don't really have anything to say about that. I knew he was essentially gone at that point and we lost him a very few days later. Mm. It's so hard to see your parents fade. My thoughts are with you and on the tough road that you have ahead. On a happier note, I am thrilled to have stumbled upon the box. I have worked in child protection for 30 years and feel like I have enough material to fill about 100 boxes. Uh, there are days when absolutely nothing surprises me anymore, but you guys always entertain. Jennifer from Ontario. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Thanks, Jennifer. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. 
But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class part of the Airwave Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir de zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. Did you know technology allows us to watch you through your device as you listen to us? Ha-ha, made you look... This is The Box of Oddities. We got a new What You Got For Me jingle that I am so excited to unveil. Thank you so much, Stephen, for sending that to us. I'm obsessed, and it's (laughs) so good. And um, first of all, anytime any of you want to craft anything and send it to us, we love to use your shit on this podcast. It's less that we have to do. Right, that's the number one reason. And you're much better at stuff than we are. (laughs) Curator at theboxofoddities.com. And I really do want a segue stinger, so get on it. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so... Somebody had sent me a message a while ago and was like, hey, check this story out. And I loved it. And I was like, I'm going to talk about this. And so I screenshotted it. But when I screenshotted it, I cut their name out of the screenshot like an idiot. So I went back into my messages trying to figure out who had sent this message to me. And the first message I opened was a new message about the same topic. Wow. So it's I can say thank you to Jess T on Instagram for sending me this topic. But I also have to acknowledge nameless person who I just ruined everything. I'm so sorry. Anyway, okay. Designed to block views, limit access, or just create an eyesore, spite houses take on many shapes because they're built with one purpose, and that's revenge. (laughs) This is weird. You had two people reach out to you on this, and I, while researching my topic that I just did, Mm -hmm. came across a story of somebody in San Francisco who did just what you're talking about. Yeah. So it's like a triple boo. Oh my goodness. Was it the Alameda Spite House? Was it green? I don't remember, but it was in the San Francisco area. Okay. Anyway, okay. So we are going to start in Maryland. Now, 
There are surprisingly a pretty significant number of spite houses, but not a ton of information on some of them. Luckily, I was able to find some, and those some are great. So we're in Frederick, Maryland. It's 1814, and the government of Frederick was planning to extend a road, but that extension would take the road straight through a lot owned by ophthalmologist Dr. John Tyler. Now, local law stated that roads could not be built on land where a building either already existed or was in the process of being built. And Dr. John Tyler did a little research Mm -hmm. and discovered this fact. The Los Angeles Times writes, When the road crews arrived in the morning, they found a hole in the ground where their road was supposed to go and where workmen were building a foundation. (laughs) In the dead of night, Tyler had started work on his new building. He then sat nearby in a chair, watching the house workmen do their thing while the road workmen could not. The spidiest part of this story is that Dr. Tyler never lived in this house (laughs) at 112 West Church Street, and he never intended to. The house is on the National Register of Historic Places in Frederick and is allegedly haunted, by the way. Really? Yeah. People say that Dr. Tyler still sits in a chair nearby and spooks people. What year did he do this in? It was 1814. Wow. That's some 19th century spite. That's the best kind of spite. (laughs) Now, in Seattle, in the Montlake neighborhood, sits a really cute historic home. It was built in 1925, and this single-family residence retains a lot of its original character, with gleaded glass windows, beautiful hardwoods, ceramic tile flooring, and the original arched front door, which is my favorite part. I'm obsessed with an arched doorway. This charm makes the house feel grand, even though it's only 860 square feet of living space. And from... (laughs) Uh, I wrote... I tried to write from above. It resembles, but for some reason, autocorrect changed it to from kebabs. It resembles. (laughs) Oh, I want kebabs. Anyway, so from above, it resembles a slice of pizza. So it's super thin at just 55 inches wide at its narrowest point. Oh, my God. It, it spans out to 15 feet at its thickest point, And it contains some really strangely shaped spaces to work its way around those tiny constraints, including a few loft beds and details that make it feel kind of houseboaty. Okay. Now, there are three stories about how this adorable grievance home came to be. One is that a German man owned the land, and he allowed someone to build a home on it. Um, But it's unknown if he was specific about how big this house should be, but he assumed that he would also be able to build a home on his land. When he returned to Seattle from Germany, he discovered that the house that was built was much bigger than he thought it was going to be. So he had this tiny sliver of land left, and out of spite, he had this tiny home built in that pie slice (laughs) land chunk. 
It's also said that there was a person who lived on the property's main house, and they wanted to buy the triangle-shaped piece next to the house. And apparently, the person who owned the big house made such a low-ball offer that the owner of that tiny, tiny plot of land not only didn't sell, but out of spite, built that odd-shaped home to block their views. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much it costs... I need to mess with the scenery. (laughs) And the third story about what happened in this particular case is that this tiny pie-shaped home was built on the front yard of the home that a woman once shared with her husband. And as part of the divorce settlement, he got to keep the house. She got that piece of land. Uh. So she did what... (laughs) a lot of recently divorced women would do, (laughs) built a tiny sliver of a home that would uh, be uncomfortably close to her ex and block their views. Uh Either way, it's adorable, and I really like it. Sounds cozy. And it... um, The Zillow estimate is like $800,000. I mean, it is uh... wild. Anyway, we're now in Virginia's historic Old Town neighborhood, just south of Washington, D.C., This neighborhood is home to a bright blue home sandwiched between two much larger townhouses. Now, according to most, it is the narrowest house in the U.S., and it's known as the Hollinsbury Spite House. So it's 1830, and John Hollinsbury owned one of the adjacent homes, or both, according to which story you read. And there was a narrow alley between the two properties on Queen Street. Now, John didn't much care for the horse and buggy traffic constantly making its way through the alley or the lowlifes that would hang out in said alley. Now, this reminds me of my trip to Maine a couple of weekends ago. We stayed in an Airbnb that was in um, not the nicest part of town, but it was a it was a nice big home with a lot of bedrooms. So it worked for what we needed it for. Anyway, I was staying in the back bedroom, which shared an exterior wall with an alley. And people kept like touching the house when they would walk through this alley. And I hated what? it. No. It was so hard to sleep when you could hear people's fingers running alongside oh the wall that are, you're sleeping are against. Are you sure it was people? Stop it. it ooh, are you suggesting some sort of like Salem's Lot type situation. You were not far from the neighborhood Stephen King lives in. I'm never sleeping in that house again, so it doesn't matter. I'm moving right along. Anyway, so he didn't like the people who were hanging out in the alley. He didn't like the sound of the horses and buggies making their way through. So the gap was only seven feet wide. And this guy wasn't really interested in building a house so much as just closing off the alley to traffic. So he added a front facade and a back wall so it looked like a house, but it was really just blocking traffic. (laughs) So it was like a movie set. Yes, very Blazing Saddles-esque. Okay. Eventually, though, it was filled in as the interior of a home was designed, But the interior walls are still the exterior walls of the other houses. So you can see like the scars of the horse and buggy wheels along the walls and the bricks have been chipped into and there's alley graffiti and such. I mean, not like spray paint, but you know, like Mm -hmm. they're the exterior walls that used to be an alley. So anyway, 
I think that's kind of neat. Okay, moving right along. Standing near the old lighthouse in Beirut stands a building that looks kind of like a wall. And that's one of the purposes that it serves. It was built in the early 1950s, and it's said that brothers inherited two plots of land from their father. They were unable to reach a conclusion on how to split this land. And the dispute was further exacerbated by one part of the property taken into road infrastructure. So again, it's another instance where the town caused even more problems. Imminent domain. So one brother built this building, leaving the other brother a very small sliver of land. Again, brotherly conflict leads to what? A spite building. Of course it does. This building was constructed in the tiniest sliver of land and had the added bonus of blocking his brother's ocean view. The building is the narrowest in Beirut. It's just two feet wide at its narrowest point and 14 feet wide at its widest. Each floor of the structure contains two apartments that are completely linear. So you have to walk through one room to get to the next. I actually lived in an apartment at one point where the upstairs was built that way, and it was terrible. You had to walk through my roommate's bedroom in order to get to my bedroom. I hated it. Wow. I couldn't live like that. It was awful. Anyway, the building is known as Albasa, meaning the grudge. (laughs) Now we're going to move to Buenos Aires, Argentina. It's the 1930s, and Karina Kavanaugh was a wealthy socialite who planned for her daughter to marry into the local Buenos Aires aristocracy. Now, as the Kavanaugh's themselves were very wealthy, Karina saw this as no problem, right? But they didn't have old money lineage, and so the aristocracy of Argentina kind of looked down on this family. And the story does vary a bit, and I'm unclear on whether or not Karina herself was having a love affair with the son of Mercedes Castellanos de Anjorena, or if it was Karina's daughter. Either way, there were plans for a marriage, and you can imagine that the old money Anchorenas were not impressed. So they undermined the relationship until it collapsed. <laughs> so when the wedding plans were no more, Karina, noted to be a very determined lady, sat in wait for her opportunity for revenge. So the Anchorenas lived on one side of the Plaza San Martin. And on the other side stood the beautiful Basilica del Santissimo. It was a church built by the Anchorenas family as their own personal mausoleum, though it's now public. Well, a vacant lot right in front of the basilica became available. And of course, the Anchorenas wanted it to build a new family mansion right next to their mausoleum. Well, this is when Karina Kavanaugh decided to have her moment. She sold several of her own properties in order to outbid and acquire that land. And the Edificio Kavanaugh was completed in 1936. This was a record-breaking construction pace. Not only was the building built super fast, it had 33 floors, 105 unique luxury apartments. What? No two apartments have the same layout. It had ground floor shopping centers and underground parking, swimming pools, integrated dry cleaner service, cold storage for furs and carpets, central telephone system, and a safe deposit box vault. Her spite required a great deal of forethought. 
and engineering. Yeah, she hired some super sought after architects to help her with this spite building. <laughs> the Kavanaugh building was the tallest reinforced concrete structure in the world and for many years remained the tallest building in Latin America. Wow. And the time it took to construct it, just 14 months. It was a record for a building of that scale. The Edificio Kavanaugh was designed and built with a single purpose to completely obstruct the view of the Anchorena Church from the home of the Anchorenas. <laughs> In fact, the only good view of the basilica is from the alley that runs between the Kavanaugh building and the hotel next door. That street, by the way, is called Karina Kavanaugh Street. <laughs> of course it is. So Karina did not mess around. She had a singular purpose. She was going to get it done. And she did. That's focus and dedication. I know. And I kind of appreciate like some of these are a little petty and this one's super petty. But I love it because it was built as revenge for the stolen love because of aristocracy and pfft, that's what i say i'm just i'm i'm proud of her i like it well done. i love a little spite story sometimes because i'm petty as fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love a spite story anytime yeah yeah i got most of my information from zillow which actually came in super handy k-o-m-o news curbed the modern rogue exploring argentina and the insider i wonder if our house in maine the lake house yeah. is a spite house because think about that for a minute. I don't think it was spidey, but I know what you're saying because yeah. it does entirely block the view of the lake from the people who had a house for, for decades, for decades before it. Yeah. 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 I don't think it was spidey. I think it was just inconsiderate. Yeah. Maybe that's what it, <laughs> it was an inconsiderate house <laughs> <laughs> and completely within character of the guy who built it. Want to thank our most recent patrons, Sonia, Maddie, Donna, Alexander, Stanley, and the Prince of the Fateful Eternal Wind. Beautiful. Yes. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate the support. And if you would like to support the Box of Oddities, one of the perks you can get ad-free episodes. Get them a day early. We do monthly Zoom meetings. It's so much fun. Just go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. The link is there. Become a member of the Order of Freaks. Come on, all the cool kids are doing it. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. <clears throat> mm. 
I got a pack. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.